Hear the word of the Lord from 1 Kings 19. Now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, may the gods do to me and more also if I don't make your life like one of them by this time tomorrow. Then Elijah was afraid. He got up and fled for his life. He came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Then he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came and sat under a solitary broom tree. He asked that he might die. It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than one of my ancestors. And he lay down and fell asleep under the broom tree. Suddenly, an angel came to him, touched him, and said, Get up and eat. He looked, and there at his head was a cake, baked with hot stones and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came to him a second time, touched him, and said, Get up and eat, otherwise the journey will be too much for you. Elijah got up and ate and drank. Then he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. When he came to that place, he found a cave and spent the night there. The word of the Lord came to him saying, what are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they are seeking my life to take it away. The Lord said to him, go, stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now there came a great wind, so strong it was splitting mountains and rocks into pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind came an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a sound of sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went and stood at the entrance of the cave. The word of the Lord came to him again saying, what are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the Israelites have forsaken your covenants, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. The Lord answered him saying, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael, king over Aram. And you shall anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And finally, 
you shall anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah, king over, or prophet over Israel in your place. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has gathered us together, made us to stand, and brought us to touch this moment. We are grateful for your word. Help us to listen well to what you have to say, and may your Holy Spirit speak through me. I pray this in your name. Amen. What do you do the moment after a miracle comes? The moment after God speaks and brings about something new and different. What do you do after a miracle comes and inspires you to act boldly and audaciously? What do you do when a miracle comes? You see it, experience it, know it to be true. But your circumstances don't change. Elijah just experienced a miracle, and now he's running for his life. We meet Elijah in a bit of an awkward moment. He's a prophet over the nation of Israel at a time when Israel doesn't really care to hear a word from the Lord. The king, Ahab, married a woman, Jezebel, from another nation, and she brought with her to the marriage her worship of other gods, specifically Baal. This story comes immediately after a showdown between Elijah and the prophets of Baal and the Lord, the God of Israel, came through in unmistakable power and might. Here, we find Elijah in the aftermath of this showdown. In Elijah's own words, he has served zealously for the Lord while Israel has forsaken the covenant thrown down the altars, and killed the prophets. Elijah may have just experienced a miracle, but right now, he feels lost and afraid. So, he runs. We understand fear. We get fear. We can even understand the impulse to run and hide, to run far and run fast. And he has a legitimate fear for his life. In the battle between fight and flight, Elijah fought last time, and this time he thinks his chances are better if he flees. But Elijah is a prophet. He's supposed to be better, faster, stronger. He's the one who gets to hear directly from the Lord. And the word of the Lord came to him saying... He's the one who gets to perform miracles in the name of the Lord. He's the one who walks up to kings, gets in their face, and says whatever the Lord told him to say, no matter how angry they might get. He's a prophet of the Lord. Elijah's supposed to be better than us, right? He's not supposed to give in to fear or doubt. He's not supposed to run or hide. He's supposed to stand strong. And especially today. Today, he better be standing strong. 
He just experienced a miracle and not a small, wow, look what God has provided for my life today, miracle, which is good and a beautiful thing. But Elijah, he just experienced a big, grand scale, powerful, upending of society miracle. He's supposed to be better than us. He's supposed to be stronger than us. Especially after God has come through for him in the ways God has just come through for him. And yet he runs. Because guess what? Elijah is a human just like us. Yes, he is a prophet of the Lord. Yes, the Lord speaks to him in direct and powerful ways. But he's still one of us. Elijah is no better than the rest of us. When his life gets threatened, he gets scared and he runs. We understand fear. We get fear. We even understand his impulse to run and hide. Because fear is a powerful influencer. It can shake us to our very core. Fear can change us. You know the feeling, right? Your heart might start to pick up, pick up speed slowly at first and then all at once. You feel your breath catch, then pick up tempo. There might be a slight tremor in your right eye. Your left leg might start to shake. If you're really scared, you might begin to hear the blood pounding in your ears, a slight bitter taste might enter the back of your mouth. Fear, anxiety, frustration, a combination of the three. And the temptation is strong to flee. Oh, we might not run to the desert. I have found a very comfortable, safe hiding place behind the blue glare of my computer screen. Netflix can be a very nice companion when I'm afraid. Thank you very much. Or you might be in the best shape of your life. Your fear, your anxiety, your frustration, it's causing you to run faster, lift heavier weights, and push your muscles to the brink. When I was a student here, Macan was my favorite hiding place when the fear of the future started to overwhelm me. When I felt the weight of the future, the weight of the uncertainty, you better believe I was sitting at those tall tables along the wall of Teeter Cafe, talking and laughing with my friends like I don't have a care in the world, while my mind is a spiral of questions and uncertainty. We might not run to the desert, but we understand the urge. And while Elijah's humanity, his very real reaction to fear, is a good part of this story, it's not even the best part of the story. The best part is the Lord. God runs right after Elijah. He asks him questions. God feeds Elijah in the desert. God appears in a way that's radically different from the last time he appeared. And finally... God doesn't leave Elijah on his own. When Elijah runs, God finds him there, right in the middle of it all. 
He's weary, deep in his soul, weary. But God finds him there, which really isn't that surprising to me. Yes, Elijah is a prophet, and the Old Testament is full of stories of God running after wayward prophets. But that's not the reason. I'm not surprised that God meets Elijah in the desert because God meets his people in the desert. He wandered through the desert with the Israelites for 40 years. When Jesus was on earth, he had his own 40 days and 40 nights in the desert. So God meets his people in the desert, but he also meets them at the mountain, and at this mountain in particular. Horeb, the Mount of God, went by another name in the book of Exodus, Sinai. Elijah runs right to the very place where God met with Moses and gave him the Ten Commandments. Both of the stops in Elijah's journey are places where God tends to meet with his people. Now, we may not live in Israel, so getting to Mount Horeb or even the desert isn't necessarily possible. But place and setting matter. God will meet us in our own fear or anxiety or frustration. Maybe our desert is a place that's free from noise and distraction, where a phone is turned off and far away. Maybe our mountain is a cornfield. Drive out toward Kokomo and you can see the sky stretching for miles and be reminded just how much bigger the world is. Find a place, a place where you can experience silence, a place where you can hear the wind whistle in the trees and beat against the rocks. Find a place where you can experience stillness. Find a place where Netflix doesn't work and there are fewer distractions and turn that into your very own desert, your very own mountaintop. Because fear is a powerful influencer and sometimes we need to get away from all that is familiar in order to flee from our fear and toward God. So maybe our desert looks a little different, and maybe the way God speaks in that moment will also look a little bit different than we expect. After all, 1 Kings 18 and 19 feature the Lord reaching out to Elijah in three different ways. You should read 1 Kings 18 and see the power and might of God's appearance while Elijah is throwing shade at the prophets of Baal. And here... God sends an angel to touch Elijah and give him food and encourage him. Later, God comes in the sound of pure silence. You might have heard that phrase translated as God appearing in a still, small voice. But this, this is powerful. After all that noise, the sound of a powerful wind beating against rocks, the sound of the earth rumbling and the crackle of a roaring fire, we have sheer and utter silence. 
a silence so powerful, Elijah just knows that it has to be God. We have fear. Sometimes our minds get carried away in the anxiety of questions we can't answer and what-if scenarios spin through our brains. We get fear. And we have plenty of ways of coping with it, of running from it. But just like our very human friend, Elijah, God meets us. In your life, has God always spoken, always provided in the exact same way? Maybe it's through a trusted mentor, the pastor from home, the youth leader who hung out with you at lunch in your school cafeteria. Maybe God always spoke through the Psalms or the Gospels. Maybe you've always heard God clearly through the message of a worship song in this place. Sometimes we don't just need a change of scenery, we need to learn to listen in a different way. In in the span of a single moment in the life of Elijah, God appeared in three very different ways, and one of them was in complete silence. A silence so big and holy, Elijah knew it had to be the Lord. Find your desert. Find your mountaintop. Breathe slowly and deeply. And see if God just might be speaking to you in a new and different way. Maybe you will hear God in the silence of that moment. Or maybe you'll emerge from that moment ready to hear God in the words and voices of the people that surround you. Be patient. Elijah journeyed 40 days and 40 nights into the desert before meeting God in that mountain. God's appearance may be different than it's been before and certainly different than we anticipate, but God will come and God won't leave us where we are. God doesn't leave Elijah where he is. God listens, God appears, and God tells Elijah where to go, what to do, and who's going to be joining him on the journey. The beautiful thing about the character of God in the midst of our fear is that God comes at us in multiple different avenues. God doesn't just meet Elijah in the cave. Elijah is given a task, a journey, And it's a journey which will remind him that he's not alone. Go and return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus and anoint and anoint and anoint. Elijah ran because he felt lost and alone and afraid. Now, he's none of those things. Well, I don't want to speak for him completely because I'm sure that there's a little bit of all of those things still dwelling inside of him. But he's been given a task, and he's been asked to invite others in. He's no longer the only one. First Kings and Second Kings tell the stories of Hazael and Jehu and Elisha. To be sure, Elisha, as the fellow prophet, is the most like Elijah. Hazael and Jehu run into plenty of problems. But in this moment, all Elijah knows and all he needs to know 
is that God has not left him alone. God's not going to leave us to stand alone in our fear. When your heart starts to race, the leg starts to shake, look around you. Who's here with you? What do you do when a miracle comes? You see it, experience it, know it to be true, but your circumstances don't change. For Elijah, I think there was something sweeter, something fuller on the other side of the miracle. He found God in different ways and places, and he emerged with a partner, someone he could pass the work on to. And for us, too, in our own fear and anxiety and frustration, I think we, too, will emerge on the other side with a vision of life and friendship and God that is richer and fuller than we had before. I can't promise it's going to be easy. We may want to run away, but the character of God will not change. God will meet us and he will not leave us where we are. Friends, as we head into these final days, when everything is fast and furious, when your to-do list seems longer than you know what to do with, find some space for silence, for God, for your people, and a reminder that we aren't in this alone. Amen.